When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Flight Deck, an inside look at the New York Jets. I'm your host, Rich Savini. I cover the Jets for ESPN. He did it again. Mike White delivered another once-in-a-lifetime passing performance, putting an exclamation point on a tension-filled week at one Jets drive. We'll talk about the Jets' new quarterback situation, their playoff chances, with this week's guest, ESPN legend Sal Palantonio. That's in the second block. For now, let's dive into White's performance in the Jets' rain-soaked 31-10 win over the Bears at home at a soggy MetLife Stadium. And now the question on everyone's mind as we digest this victory for the Jets, the question is, did Mike White put a stranglehold on the quarterback job? In other words, has he made Zach Wilson a bench warmer for the rest of the year? Now, publicly, Robert Sala is not going to come out and say that right now, I'm pretty sure. But I think White did, in fact, take a big step in that direction. The Jets are 7-4. and four. If the season ended today, they'd be a wild card. They would be in the playoffs. Their 11-year playoff drought, the longest active drought in the NFL, would be over right now so they can't think about sending him back to the bench he has performed his job better let me put it this way he performed his job better on Sunday than any Jet quarterback has done this year and we know they've started three different quarterbacks he did it better than Zach Wilson did it this year or even last year for that matter now look I get it the Bears defense stinks They went into the game without two starters in their secondary, and then they lost probably their best defensive player, safety Eddie Jackson, during the game. So it was a banged-up, bad Chicago defense, but still, got to give credit where it's due. Mike White completes 22 of 28 passes. Let's think about that for a second. 22 of 28. I'm not trying to be sarcastic here, but I honestly think Zach Wilson couldn't complete 22 of 28 in a 7-on-7 drill. I really don't think that could happen. He threw for 315 yards, three touchdowns. Not as many yards as last year's uh, iconic performance against the Bengals. That was a 4-0-5 game, but I actually think this game was better. The Bears game was better than the Bengals game because he had no turnovers. Last year he had two against Cincinnati. This year... I think that the offense was a little more daring. It was a little more aggressive. You see, you saw Mike White throwing the ball downfield a little bit more. Last year in Cincinnati game, it was really a lot of checkdowns. You also had the conditions this year. It was a, a soggy game throughout the day. And I, I thought Mike LaFleur, the offensive coordinator, he was like a different OC in this game. He was aggressive. He, you know, you could just see the confidence he had in Mike White just by the way he was calling plays. 
when he calls plays for Zach Wilson, it's if he thinks Wilson has training wheels on and they're playing not to lose. I think this was liberating for the players. They dressed 11 skill players for this game. Three running backs, three tight ends, five wide receivers. Out of those 11 guys, 10 of them caught at least one pass. The only guy who didn't was Jeremy Ruckert, the tight end, who was used on special teams. But when you get the ball to 10 different guys, that is enormous for team chemistry. I mean, you get after the game, every everybody feels like they contributed to the win. Now, no one had a monster game. Uh, Garrett Wilson obviously had a really good game. But Everyone felt like they contributed. That is great for team morale. I was standing there in the locker room as Elijah Moore was walking up to the podium for the interview, and some players were joking from a distance, calling out, free that man, free that man. I mean, Moore was on cloud nine as he talked to the media. I haven't seen him that happy probably since the middle of last season. It was just, I mean, he had a breakout game, something he was catching the ball. He scored a touchdown. Best game of the year. He didn't have that under Zach Wilson. For whatever reason, Zach Wilson was not finding him. I can't begin to describe the mood in the locker room over the course of one week. In Foxborough, I mean, there was gloom and doom. There was frustration. There was anger. And then on Sunday at MedLife after Chicago, it was like happy hour players you could just they felt liberated like I said and just uplifted and I think a lot of it has to go back to Mike White you know I was talking to a team official a few days ago before the game and he said the one thing he thought White would be able to do was to liberate not liberate galvanize the entire team and he did that I mean the defense you know they didn't have to perform miracles like they do every week you know they had a seven nothing lead to start the game I think the Jets and the Panthers began the day as the only two teams in the NFL who hadn't scored a touchdown on their game-opening drive, and the Jets took care of that right away. That is just such a big boost for the defense, so credit White for that. And also credit Robert Sala. It was a pretty bold move, changing quarterbacks, benching the second overall pick in the 21 draft. You know, I think some of this, obviously a lot of it had to do with performance, but a lot of it was credibility. After Wilson's comments after the New England game, I think Sala just really felt that there's no way he could put him back out in the huddle in front of this team. Now, he'll deny that publicly, but I do believe that those comments and that lack of accountability factored into his decision. And I thought he just handled this really, really well. Sala is good that way. Uh, he's done a good job with the team this year, uh, quite obviously. And this was the toughest decision he's had to make. And it came out brilliant. Now, I, I like what he said to Mike White on the eve of the game. He said, Mike, just be yourself. You don't have to do anything extraordinary. We don't need to be the greatest show on turf. Well, they, actually, they kind of were the greatest show on turf. When your quarterback throws for 315 and three touchdowns and you're over 400 yards, that is kind of like the Kurt Warner teams back in the 2000, 2001 era with the St. Louis Rams. But there's one quote that Salah had after the game that really resonated with me. He said, quote, he made the easy look easy. I don't think he meant that as a shot at Zach Wilson. In fact, I, I know he didn't. But Wilson always made the easy look hard. And so when he said that quote, I'm thinking to myself, 
That is so, so telling about the difference in the two quarterbacks. Now, here's a perfect example of that. Mike White, now, like I said, Chicago's defense is bad. The Jets had open receivers all day. Now, according to our next-gen stats, Mike White attempted 12 passes to wide-open receivers. Now, wide-open is defined by a receiver who is five yards or more separation from the nearest defender. So that is wide open. In the NFL, five yards is a massive distance. So Mike White had 12 passes like that. He completed all 12 for 195 yards and two touchdowns. Only Justin Herbert of the Chargers had more wide open passes in Week 12. This is before the Monday night game. He had 15 wide-open passes. So NFL quarterbacks generally don't get that many wide-open passes in a game. But like I said, he was 12 for 12. I looked up, just out of curiosity, what Zach Wilson is on wide-open passes. He's 35 for 45, no touchdowns, and one interception. Now, it's kind of hard to throw an interception when you throw into a wide-open receiver. In fact, there have been only 13 of those kind of interceptions this year to a wide-open receiver. Wilson obviously has one of them. And another thing that Robert Sala said that really clicked in after the game, he said Mike White was basically, he was able to master the obvious. Remember, how many times has he said in the last year and a half about Zach Wilson, it's okay to be boring? Mike White was the definition of that. I mean, he just did Like he said, he mastered the obvious. The quarterback doesn't have to be a star in this system. The scheme is the star. Zach Wilson, I think, is still learning that. Hopefully, for his sake, he will learn it by watching. Mike White has already mastered that concept. You know, he's a mature kid. He's 27 years old. He's a grown man. He's married. He's got kids. He hasn't played a lot of football, but he's watched a lot of football. He's been cut I think four or five times he's gone through a lot. I think that is all part of the maturation process. And like I said, they don't need him to be great. The way this team is structured, the defense is really good. The defense is going to be the star. And when the Jets score 18 or more points in a game, they are 6-0 and this year. So it's not a very high threshold for the offense. If you score 18, there's a really good chance the Jets are going to win the game. Um, so... I thought Salah, while we're on the subject of the coach, a minor move a few weeks ago that is really starting to come in focus. So we all know how he changed backup quarterbacks. He dropped Flacco and elevated Mike White to number two. Now, I think there was definitely a method behind that. Zach Wilson was coming off of two mediocre games, the Green Bay game and the Denver game. Now, the Jets did win those games. But it wasn't because of Zach Wilson. He was highly mediocre in those games. So I think Robert Sala was laying the groundwork back then for something like this. Now, he gave a cryptic explanation at the time. Uh, Quite honestly, I still don't understand it. But I think he was very quietly laying the groundwork for a possible quarterback change. It was like It was like he was getting Edwin Diaz up in the bullpen just in case. So what happens in the first game under that scenario with White as the number two? Wilson goes out and has three interceptions against the Patriots. Okay, alarm bells are sounding a little bit, but he stays with Wilson, and he rebounds nicely against Buffalo. Nice performance. Jets upset the Bills. Then the bad game against New England, the second bad game with the bad comments afterwards. 
all of a sudden Timmy Trumpet is playing and Edwin Diaz is coming in from the bullpen. And that, of course, is Mike White. And so I think Sala, in a very clever, ingenious kind of way, got this thing mo. He kind of looked into the future and wanted to have that bullpen ready. Didn't want to be caught short, and it worked out fantastically. Now, I think White is going to play well against Minnesota. Minnesota, not a good defense. They're 30th in yards allowed. They're 20th in points allowed. They play a lot of cover, too. In fact, they lead the NFL in the most percentage of cover, too. And I think that plays well to Mike White. He is willing to do the checkdowns. He won't force it downfield. He'll throw underneath. He's going to get a lot of underneath passes against Minnesota's defense. So I think he'll play well. The real telltale for Mike White will be the following going into Buffalo. And I do think he will be starting no matter what going into Buffalo. Threw four interceptions against them last year. It's a really good defense. You'd like to think he learned a lesson. Unless he totally collapses, I think Mike White is going to stay in this thing for a while. Uh, you know, the Jets, if they can split the next two games on the road, they'll come home 8-5 and five facing the Lions with an outstanding chance to really set themselves up to clinch a playoff spot at some point in the latter portion of the season. Mike White, you know, Robert Salas said he's going to stick with, uh, he said he wants to get Zach Wilson back in the lineup, you know, at some point this season. They want to get him back on the field. This is just a reset, yada, yada, yada. Well, as far as I'm concerned, you can't even begin to think of making that change right now. You have to ride Mike White for as long as you possibly can. You know, Sala said, you know, uh, he wants to get Wilson back. He also said he never thought of the idea of benching Wilson. When we asked him a few weeks ago, he said he's never going to bench Zach Wilson. Well, of course he did. So quarterbacks get benched. Coaches change their mind. In this case, I would say you're going to see a lot of Mike White for the rest of the way. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It is my great pleasure to welcome in ESPN's Sal Palantonio. Quite simply, the best in the business. Expert on all things NFL. He's been around the Jets for a few weeks now. A past guest of Flight Deck and a, most importantly, a good friend. Thanks, Sal, for taking the time. Oh, Rich, it's totally my pleasure, and uh, I'm I'm totally glad, happy to do it. It's it's been nice to be around this Jets team. You know, uh, I've been out in the woods for the longest time. It's, uh, <laughs> you know, I don't get to cover them when they're not playing well, but you know, I really enjoyed being around the team. Good good bunch of players, really good bunch of players and coaches. Yeah, you saw them at their worst uh, more than a week ago in Foxborough with a crushing loss. And then you experienced, you know, the Mike White mania on Monday in their win over Chicago. I wonder if you could just contrast, you know, the, the extremes from one to the other. Well, I think it's, in, it's important that we talk about how much they pivoted 
So that's not easy to do, Mitch. Um, they were a team with a winning record. They were a team that was the seventh seed in the AFC playoff hunt going into week 12. Uh, you look at the other teams that benched their quarterbacks. Carolina wound up, you know, firing their coach. Indianapolis wound up firing their coach. And here was a team that had a winning record that decided to bench their franchise quarterback, um, you know, between two games on uh, Thanksgiving week. I mean, that that's – I don't care who you are in what sport. that That's not easy to do. That's a total pivot. Uh, so you got to say congratulations to the coaching staff. But more important, you got you to say congratulations to those players. It doesn't matter if you're playing the Chicago Bears – or the Chicago Bulls, mm-hmm. um, right? You know, it, you still have to go out there against professionals who want to win. And uh, the pressure was enormous, Rich. Lose that game, and you don't know where this team is going from there, right? I mean, it's an incredible amount of pressure on that team. When you first heard on Wednesday that Zach Wilson was getting benched for Mike White, you know, as a first as a journalist, what was your initial response when you heard that? Well, I wanted to know the nuts and bolts of what had happened. Uh, to me, I think the tipping point, and you're around this team and have been around this team longer, but I think the tipping point was the comments made by Garrett Wilson, the rookie wide receiver in the locker room in Foxborough, where he used profanity to say, basically, there's accountability here and people need to be held accountable. So that, I thought, was the tipping point because, obviously, correct me if I'm wrong, there were grumblings about Zach Wilson for weeks and weeks. Mm. Uh, And it came to a head when he had such a horrible performance, and the horrible performance was evident from the press box, wasn't setting its feet, uh, was was trying to look like Bernie Kosar out there with sidearm throws or Dan Quisenberry. You know, he was throwing the ball from below the launch point to the point where he was just wildly inaccurate. And then you gave me a statistic right before the game against the Bears to compare and contrast Wilson to White. And I didn't know this, but I used it a lot on ESPN this weekend, radio and TV, so thank you. Mm -hmm. You're welcome. Where, Where you said, you know, Zach Wilson's snap to release was the lowest, was was the highest in the NFL over the last two years. That he was just not getting rid of the football quick enough, and and the the evidence was overwhelming against Chicago. Mike White was hut hut ball out over and over again. Yeah, with the, I think it was two point six seconds on White against the Bears, whereas you know Wilson was averaging about a half a second more, which a half a second in the NFL is a lot. So I think that showed how Mike White ran the offense. Other than that, what impressed you most about the the, the thing you just said really impressed me. I don't think people can grasp like the pressure he was under, you know, to to come in for a team that was six and four dreaming of the playoffs. And for a guy to come in who hadn't played at all this year is is really impressive. Of course, it's an incredible pivot um, with with the white hot lights of New York. Uh, You know, Darrell Rivas is in the house. You're retiring his number. The guy's going to the Hall of Fame. You know, I mean, there was so much pressure. The, the def- 
the way the defense and, and the way the wide receiver room was talking about Zach Wilson behind his back, it was clear that they were ready for White. And now all of a sudden, he's got keys to the car. Yeah. And the, the, the one thing that, you know, I talked to Sala before the game. He was actually running the steps. He came in. He came in super early. I went. I came to the stadium at seven thirty in the morning to try to wait. You know, old newspaper style, Rich, <laughs> to try to wait for him in front of the locker, uh, the Jets locker room, before he arrived, before he got dressed to go do the steps, which is his. He does every week, and I missed him. He came in fifteen minutes before I got there. Mm. And, and he usually doesn't show up until eight, 7.45, 8 o'clock. So I thought I was early enough to catch him. So I texted him, what did you tell Mike White in the team hotel on Saturday? I like to do that because I like to get a little window into the thinking of the coach and the quarterback before the game. Sure. And the, and the, and the audience likes it. So I continue to do it. So I did it. And I texted him, no response, nothing. Because he was already on the steps, running the steps. He didn't have his phone with him. So uh, so I waited at my TV point right on the 10-yard line on the Bears sideline, and I waited for Sala to come around. And I waved to him, and he actually stopped. And he had read my text, and he just started with his answer. He said, efficiency. I said, oh, you read the text. He goes, yeah. I told him efficiency was number one. Number two, you don't have to be the greatest show on turf. Number three, uh, run the ball. Number four, let the defense do the rest. Those were the four final talking points he had to Mike White. And Mike White followed his instructions, except he came pretty close to being the greatest show on turf. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 315 <laughs> yards and three touchdowns. That's pretty turf-like, I think. That's pretty yeah, – uh, sure. No interceptions. Kurt yeah. Warner would take that back in the day. Uh, so, yeah, that's great reporting by you. And I do think the fans eat that stuff up because it gives you a little window into what the head coach is thinking on the night before the game. And it's interesting that Shalas showed up earlier than usual. Maybe there were, maybe he had some stress he wanted to burn off by uh, by hitting those steps early because it was a big game for him, too, because pretty bold decision to bench the number two pick in the, in the draft. Bench the number two Pick in the draft while you have a winning record. Yeah. Not, you know, you yeah, don't see that every day. no, we're, we're in uncharted territory. You, you bench your quarterback because the Panthers stink. You bench your quarterback because the owner of the Colts tells you to bench your quarterback. But in this case, this was on Robert Sala. Yeah. <laughs> Man. And, you know, all credit goes to that defense. They shut out the Bears in the second half, they had a little bit of a hiccup early on. For whatever reason, they weren't tackling very well. They just weren't used to um, uh, some of the Bears' offensive players. I mean, Claypool's a lot bigger than you think he is. Mm -hmm. David Montgomery's a very slippery, very tough runner. Um, you know, I think uh, they just weren't ready for that. Do you think there's a way, Zach Wilson, is there a way back from this for him this year? I'm talking this year. Can he get back in, on, in the lineup? Let's go through the schedule, Rich. Let's go through the schedule. So they go to – so let's go through it, right? Um, the way I see it, the Jets are 7-4, and four, correct? Correct. Okay. 
So Vikings at Vikings at Bills. I see you got to win one of those two. You don't have to win both. Mm-hmm. Then you beat Detroit and Jacksonville at home. Okay. And then at Seattle at Miami, you got to win one of those two. So if you can go four and two in the final six games and be 11 and six, <clears throat> you're going to get a wild card. Yeah. And I think Mike White can do that because when when you give up 17 points or less, you're undefeated. The mm-hmm. Jets are undefeated when they give up 17 points or less. So I think in four of those games, they can do that. I think Detroit, Jacksonville, Seattle, and Minnesota are four games where they will keep the offense to under 20 points. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's going to be a fascinating decision. Robert Sala did say he intends to get Zach Wilson back on the field this year, but we know coaches change their minds. Bill Parcells always used to say, I reserve the right to change my mind. And if Zach, if Mike White plays anywhere close to what he did on Sunday, then they're going to have to ride Mike White. Yeah, I mean, football is like life. you got to be able to adjust on the fly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and Robert Sala also said, in Foxborough, it's the furthest thing from my mind. I don't know who asked the question, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but somebody said, uh, are you thinking about making a change at quarterback? And I do believe his answer in Foxborough on Sunday night is it's the furthest thing from my mind. And then three days later, he's changing the quarterback. Right. Yeah. Now, this is a tough question, but maybe you can look into your crystal ball a little bit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> What do you – I mean, this is a fascinating situation for the offseason. I mean, do, do you go with Zach Wilson again next year or do you have to look outside the organization to bolster your quarterback position? Well, let me flip the script on you, Rich, and, you know, well, let's speculate. Let's say they do go 4-2 and two in their final six games and they're 11-6, and six, and this is with Mike White, a quarterback. Zach Wilson's your number two next year. He goes into training camp as your number two quarterback. And mm-hmm. Mike White is your number one. I mean, that's an easy decision. And Mike White's going to be a free agent, so that would re- require some negotiation. You know, that would be an interesting situation. You know, how much they would want to commit to Mike White while also having Zach Wilson. It's 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 got so many tentacles, you know. It's such an interesting story. I mean, we're probably getting ahead of ourselves here because there's a lot of football to be played. Yes, but- we are, but that's okay. <laughs> and that's what we do. <laughs> we yeah. look, we look I into mean, the future. You got to look at the next game on the schedule right now. I mean, the Vikings are no picnic. Uh, they were embarrassed losing to the Cowboys. They bounced back. They barely beat the Patriots um, uh, at home. Both of those games were at home. I can't believe they've got three home games in a row like that, but they yeah. do. Um and now the Jets come in rejuvenated, and you could argue they played three really good defenses in a row. The Cowboys, the Pats' defense is good, and now the Jets. And so uh, this will be yeah. a tough game. This will be a tough game for them. It really will. They've had, yeah. they've had injuries on their O-line. And, um, you know, the, the thing – I wrote a bunch of notes. Uh, you asked me to come on your show – early in the day yesterday so i kept writing notes i called them samini notes okay thank you but i mean i mean the first the first thing is about mike white so he was very decisive the ball came out much quicker you gave the numbers 2.6 versus uh, 
uh, 3.0 for Zach Wilson. A half a second is an eternity in the National Football League. I thought the presence, and this is something we said on our YouTube segment last night in front of the Jets locker room, the presence of Corey Davis opened things up for Garrett Wilson, for sure. Um, the other thing is that the benching of James Robinson and going with Ty Johnson and Zana the Knight, uh, that's, that's permanent now. That's totally permanent. They're not going back, for sure. Because I watched Zonovan Knight's runs uh, again this morning on tape, and Salah is right, you know, foot in the ground and go. Ty yeah. Johnson, foot in the ground and go. Um, the, the most impressive thing is, to me, their defensive line rotation. So they have a great plan going in, and they adjust it, and they got fresh bodies all the time rotating in on that defensive line, and that makes them very effective. They hit the quarterback 27% of the time going into week 13. That's best in the AFC. And they do it without blitzing. Uh, you know, when, when you can hit the quarterback, a hit the quarterback as a sack, I'm sorry, pressure. Hit the quarterback, pressure, a hit, or a sack. Those three things. Right. Uh, um, no, no, I'm sorry. It is hit the quarterback. It is. It's a hit, a knockdown, and a sack. Those three things are, amount to hitting the quarterback. And they do it 27% of the dropbacks of the opposing quarterbacks going into week 13, best in the AFC. And they do it with hardly any blitzes. They're now down to about 14% a game. Yeah, yeah. it's pretty remarkable. It's a 10-man rotation on the defensive line. It is. And- I don't know any other team. You know, we see a lot of teams. I don't know any other team that does it as well as the Jets. It's like clockwork. Yeah, and uh, it, they've gotten some criticism for it. And I'll be honest, I've criticized them in the past for it because I'd like to see more Quinn and Williams out there. He's their best player. But you can't argue with the results. I mean, they're getting production out of the entire unit. And ultimately, that's the most important thing. There was a little bit thing when Nathan Shepard was asked to come off the field. I don't know if you noticed that. He was a little annoyed. It was late in the third quarter. And he was playing really well. And they pulled 97 off. And mm-hmm. he looked like he was ready to go off on somebody, and another player calmed him down because, you know, they stick to their rotation. They want fresh bodies out there. Yeah, yeah. And, um, well, you mentioned Darrell Rivas earlier. The Jets honored him in the Ring of Honor on Sunday at halftime. And Darrell is a first-year eligible for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And, Sal, you were on the committee. You know, I think there's only – 49 of you on the selection committee. So it's a, it's a small fraternity. And I'm just wondering, I think Jet fans are very interested in knowing what do you, what do you think Darrell Revis's chances are of making it the first time? Well, um, first of all, I think it's 46. So it was 46. Okay. 46, 46 on the committee, Rich. Uh, this is my 11th year on the committee. Um, and I'll be voting for both Joe Klecko and Darrell. So, you know, Joe Klecko uh, has been nominated, uh, I believe, from the seniors, right? The senior pool? Correct. Yeah. And so he's got to pass muster. It's an up or down vote. That's one of the folks first, first votes we will take in the room on January 17th. And I'll be voting for Joe Klecko. Uh, I think he uh, has belonged for a long time. And I'm glad the senior committee gave him his due. As for Darrell Rivas, you know, he walks and talks and looks like and has had the production of a first ballot Hall of Famer. To me, um, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer, and I will be 
not only voting for him, but I will be helping his pre you know presenter in the room, Gary Myers, in presenting the case. Mm. Okay, very interesting. I know those they can get you know contentious at times, and there's a lot of debate and so forth that goes on in these meetings. Uh, you know, I think Rebus it, it belongs in there. I mean, it's hard to become a first ballot guy. You know, there's they, they don't happen too often. Maybe one a year, one every couple of years, but to me no one played the position better for that period of time than Rebus did. Yeah, I, I would agree with you on that. So we've had some first ballot defensive backs recently, you know, Ed Reed, Champ Bailey, I believe was first ballot. Yeah. Um, you know. Um, Troy Palomalu. Correct. So two safeties in a corner. Um, I'm trying to think if there was another corner recently. I, I don't really remember any being in my 10-year tenor, 10-year tenor, tenure. Um, so I think there's definitely going to be significant support for him. Uh, there will be obviously a, a discussion and as there always is, there were five leftovers from last year's final 10. They will get consideration. And then you have Joe Thomas and Darrell Rebus of the first year eligibles who I believe should be first ballot hall of famers. All right. Well, there you have it, right from someone who's going to be in the room, and uh, as they say, and that's on January 17th, and I believe that won't be announced until later on. They correct, they do that right before the Super Bowl, I believe, they announce the class. I know. It's tough yeah. to keep that secret. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it leaks out, but we'll see what happens. So it could be a, a, a massive jet day in canton next summer if Revis oh, yeah. and uh, Kleco get in my gosh it'll be uh, it'll be jet nation in canton ohio jet, so when was the last time the jets were in the hall of fame game rich you gotta go all the way back to 1992 when browning nagel was their quarterback and played that day against the philadelphia eagles and um i oh, remember wow. he had a really good game but what people tend to forget was he did terribly when Reggie White and company were in the game for a couple of snaps. But as soon as those guys came out, <laughs> suddenly Nagel's performance kind of skyrocketed after those guys came out of the game. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm just going to go on the record here uh, as informed speculation, as we like to say <laughs> in the business. Yeah. Uh, if Rebus gets in and Klecko gets in, the Jets will be playing that fifth Hall of Fame preseason game. And in the Hall of Fame game, the first weekend in August in Canton, Ohio, I can get. And it, and if Joe Thomas gets in, don't be shocked uh, if it's the Browns and the Jets. Wow, that would uh, that would draw a lot of interest for sure. Uh, very cool. Well, there's a crystal ball prediction. We'll we'll revisit that <laughs> next uh, next summer. That'll be great. Well, Sal, thank you so much for uh, you know sharing your insights. You see more NFL stuff than than practically anyone. So we really appreciate it. And hopefully, if the Jets stay in this thing, hopefully we'll we'll do more Sundays together. Uh, in the memorable words of one Bart Scott, can't wait. <laughs> All right. Perfect way to end it. Thank you so much, Sal. And it's Twitter time. First one out of the box. A friend of mine, at Vincent J. Accardi. How long a leash does Mike White have before the Jets go back to Zach Wilson, assuming – White does not get hurt. Well, as I said, Vin, you know, I think Mike White is going to have some leash here. This is not going to be a one-and-done situation. It's not going to be a one-bad-game-and-done situation either. I think he's built up a little equity here. But let's keep it in perspective. He beat a really bad Chicago defense. 
might be the worst defense in the NFL. Mike White, we have not seen him put together two back-to-back performances, complete game performances yet. He almost did last year, but he got hurt against Indianapolis in the first quarter. So durability is part of it as well. Can Mike White stack wins? That's the key question. I think he's definitely earned at least two or three more starts for sure. And how he does, how the team does, will determine the rest of the season beyond that. Six games is a long time. At New York Jets fan tweets, who do you see as our starting right tackle going forward? Oh boy, he hasn't played badly. Mitchell showed some promise when he was healthy, and now Fant has shown he can be excellent. And uh, also, will Remmers ever see the field? Well, you know, I thought uh, Max Mitchell came off the bench Sunday and did a real nice job when Obwehi got hurt. Uh, I would think Max Mitchell will stay in the starting lineup this week at right tackle. George Fant is eligible. His IR window opened last week. Uh, but I would roll with Max Whit- Mitchell. I mean, why not? He is probably the future at right tackle, a good young player, a rookie. You want to see him out there and played well. Roll with Mitchell. I'd make George Fant the backup swing tackle. Remmers, I don't see him on the field unless something crazy happens. He was on the field on the field goal blocking unit this week for a couple of snaps, but that was it. So, yeah, I could see Max Mitchell rolling as they go forward. Next one from at Rob, 514-17, and uh, 7-7 actually. Does Joe Douglas have enough good equity built up so he could move on from Zach Wilson permanently? Yeah, I mean, Joe Douglas is not going to get fired, um, especially if they make the playoffs because of the Zach Wilson situation. Now, there is no question that Wilson is a blemish on his drafting record. Like right now, you'd have to say that looks like a whiff. There's still a chance he can be salvaged. I'd say it's unlikely at this point, but you never say never. So much can happen over the last six games. If Wilson doesn't play at all for the rest of the way, Joe Douglas is going to be faced with another massive quarterback decision uh, this offseason, like the one he had a couple of years ago with Darnold in the draft. And he chose to go with the draft and Zach Wilson, and it doesn't look good right now. So, uh, yes, he's got enough equity built up. It's not a good look when your quarterback goes south. He's going to need a really good exit plan if he decides to move on from Wilson in the offseason. Uh, next one from at Tom, 808-459-71J. What is Mike White's contract situation for 2023, and how do you think his next contract could play out if he remains the starter this year and plays well. Well, Mike White is in the final year of his contract. He will be an unrestricted free agent after the season. He was a restricted free agent this past offseason. Of course, there's an enormous difference. The Jets retained their rights to him with a second-round tender, so now he's making $2.5 million this year. Uh, money well spent for the Jets, I would say. And so, hey, if Mike White finishes these last six games and the Jets make the playoffs, he's going to make a lot of money for himself. He'll be in line for a payday, and that will be one of the fascinating questions going forward. You know, how much would the Jets commit to him? Do they commit to him? Do they go back to Wilson? They Do Do they go out and get a Jimmy Garoppolo? So many interesting variables need to be answered over the next few weeks. Uh, next one from at Joe Cavato 6. Do you expect Bam Knight and... James Robinson to be the running back one and two. Uh, No, I think you're going to see Bam Knight and Ty Johnson. 
I think James Robinson could be done for a little bit. James Robinson, at this point, does not look like a great pickup. He's got no burst. I mean, where's the burst? He's a, he's a downhill runner. I don't see the one-cut shiftiness that you need to have in this offensive scheme. I don't think Robert Salas saw it either. That's why he was a healthy scratch. Bam Knight comes in with fresh legs. You saw he has some wiggle to him. He's got a little elusiveness. He had a really good game off the bench. So I think Bam Knight and Ty Johnson are your guys, depending on how injured Michael Carter is. He's got a sprained ankle. It's something to watch for sure. But uh, Ty Johnson's got some speed. You saw it in the long touchdown run. Uh, and Bam Knight's got some wiggle. I'd roll with those two guys. I think you keep uh, James uh, Robinson in mothballs for a little bit. You know, I don't think he's earned playing time to this point, trade or no trade. Next one from A at uh, J underscore back 10. Hey, Rich, I was watching some of the old Wilson tape from college, and his footwork looks sound. I also recall draft experts saying his bottom half was one of the reasons he would be drafted in the first round. What do you think has deteriorated so quickly after 20 games? Well, 20 games is a lot. You know, it's not quickly. And you're right about the college tape. Um, He was very crisp mechanically, according to all the scouts and personnel people I talked to. But here's the thing. He wasn't really throwing under any duress at BYU. He had a really good offensive line. He had good mechanics. And they played a bad schedule. I remember Mel Kuyper going on and on before the draft, calling it a cupcake schedule, and he was absolutely right. It was a COVID year. A lot of players were sitting out. They had to juggle their schedule, BYU, and they faced some really bad teams. They had no power five opponents on the schedule. I think, I remember looking this up around draft time, Zach Wilson only faced one or two defensive players that were actually drafted on the first or second day of the draft. I think he won the Jets' hearts at his pro day with that one off-balance, ridiculous, quote-unquote, off-platform throw that went viral on social media. I I think that was a big part of it. And that's a shame because you never want to base a draft decision on a pro day, whether it's positive or negative. And so, yeah, his his, his mechanics were pristine at BYU. Obviously, they are not entirely different situation he's a terrible quarterback in the nfl when throwing under pressure something he rarely had to do at byu next one from at p underscore phil pot why is zach wilson not the number two quarterback well i have an easy answer for that because he's the third best quarterback on the team quite simply and also he's in quarterback rehab right now so i don't see him leaving the number three spot for at least a couple of few weeks, I think he's going to be in that three spot. Next one from at Cam McLaurin. Rich, I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Thank you, Cam. I did. Same to you. I can't help but notice the camaraderie the Jets players have for Mike White. Since last season, they've spoken highly of him and celebrate him at every opportunity. I don't notice the same vibes for Zach Wilson. Do you notice this in the locker room? Uh, yeah, I think the one thing... Yes, you're right on all of that. The, the players really like talking about Mike White. They genuinely like him. I think they appreciate his backstory, a guy who was an unknown, who's been cut a few times, who made his way up, who never complained, works hard. The word that kept coming up in the locker room on Sunday was preparation, how hard he prepares. Um, and the camaraderie I see in the locker room, I, Mike White, the Jets have a uh, cornhole game set up in the locker room. And it's pretty popular. A lot of guys play it. Mike White's always in there playing it, you know, yucking it up with teammates. 
I never see Zach Wilson playing that game. Now, let me say this, to be fair. When you're the starting quarterback, you have some other responsibilities besides playing cornhole. So it's quite possible that Zach Wilson was off in a meeting or, or, or watching tape or working out. It's a little different when you're the backup quarterback. So now I'll be curious to see if Mike White is playing cornhole. As silly as that sounds, uh, now he's got more on his plate. He might be doing other things, but you're absolutely right. You could see the affection and the camaraderie they have for him. Uh, I think it's real. It's not fake. He's a genuinely well-liked guy in the Jet locker room, and I think that matters for sure. Now, the Jets play Minnesota this week. Interesting, interesting game. As I said earlier, Minnesota's defense has struggled I think their play style plays into what the Jets do, but their offense is so explosive. Justin Jefferson might be the best player the Jets see all year. He is just ridiculous at wide receiver. Uh, There's going to be a lot of hype this week about Sauce Gardner and Justin Jefferson. Um, I don't think they'll have Gardner on him every play. The Jets play mostly sides at cornerback, so I, I do think there'll be some chances that he's on him. But you'll see a lot of DJ Reed as well. Uh, So that'll be a fun watch. I think Kirk Cousins is a slightly above-average quarterback who is just benefiting from a really good supporting cast. Um, You know, his TD interception ratio is only about 2-to-1 this year. It's not great. His numbers aren't great. I think he can be sacked. I think the Jets' front four will have some pressure in this game. It's a tough place to play. It can be loud in that dome. Uh, I've never been there. I'm I've, one of the few stadiums I have not been to, so I'm really looking forward to getting in there and seeing it. It'll be a far cry from my last trip to Minnesota, which was out at the University of Minnesota Stadium outdoors. Not a fun place in the wintertime. So interesting game. I'm going to roll with the Jets here. I'm going to go on the white bandwagon and say he can do it again. I think the Jets' defense can win this game against Kirk Cousins. It's going to take a really, really extraordinary effort. Might be the best offense they faced because they've got Dalvin Cook in the backfield. They got Jefferson and Thielen on the perimeter. You know, who do you, you know, who do you key on? It's a really tough one. This is this is going to be a real tough one for the Jet defense, but I'm going to roll here with the Jets in a high scoring game, 31 27. We'll see. I haven't been great on picking Jet games this year. Did have them over Chicago. That's not saying much in terms of my picking. I think most people did. But we'll see if the Jets can keep this rolling in Minnesota. I want to thank my guest, Sal Palantonio of ESPN, for joining us. Great stuff from Sal. As always, thanks to my producer, Jeff Scopin. We will talk to you next week on Flight Deck.